Knowing the headlines isn't always enough. Sometimes you need to talk about it. For stimulating conversation on the day's hot topics, this is your station. This is your show, The Ryan Jesperson Show, on 630 Chen, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. Our thanks to Jody Emery for joining us upon her return to Vancouver from Ottawa. Of course, as mentioned, she was addressing the uh, the Liberal Forum on Marijuana Legalization. She has clashed publicly with Liberal MP Bill Blair, the former Toronto police chief, who's also serving as parliamentary secretary to uh, Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould. That's Canada's justice minister. Bill Blair... Uh, former, I mean, when you speak in the context as the former chief of Canada's largest city, people are going to listen, I think, to your take on crime prevention, on policing. But that doesn't necessarily mean everybody's going to agree. So Bill Blair, despite calls from activists like Jody and Mark Emery, her husband, Thomas Mulcair, leader of the NDP, and others to immediately remove criminal restrictions on marijuana, which is a possibility, by the way. Politically speaking, it is doable. Bill Blair says, listen, until we've had the proper consultations here, until the law is actually changed, the law is the law. In this instance, I'm inclined to agree with Bill Blair. I mean, it's the same sort of a thing. We can have conversations about changing the speed limit on Skona Road, and I'd be all about it. I mean, I think we should be able to drive 80 on Skona Road. But if I tell that to the cop who pulls me over driving 80 while the speed limit's still 60, he doesn't really care, does he? Pun completely intended. He wouldn't give a hoot. I'd still probably earn that ticket. What do you think? On the text line to 630-630... Red says, hey, thanks for having this discussion. Oh, Red. I don't know if I'm allowed to read this, but I'm going to. I might raise a couple eyebrows here, but hey, I'm just reading the text line. Red says, between you, at night, and coast to coast AM, he says, I've officially stopped listening to the CBC. Keep up the good work. Red, ooh, music to my ears on this Friday. Mike says, I don't know if it was touched on. Most shops that sell bongs and pipes are labeled tobacco use only. He says, would that still be profiteering? Mike, great question. And you're right. That's kind of the snicker snicker marketing of marijuana consumption products, marijuana delivery products like pipes and bongs, if you want to call them that. But isn't that an interesting storyline? That was that was Almas in the Park that brought that up. That was a great question. That flew completely under my radar. The fact that the feds are collecting taxes and probably the province of B.C. as well right? Through the sale of items that are still deemed to be illegal. By the way, regardless of your take on marijuana and whether it should be legal and who, it, who should be able to access it, and whether it should be available medicinally or recreationally or whatever, whatever your take is, can we all agree that it's ludicrous that certain magazines, certain publications are still illegal in Canada? I mean, do we really believe that we should be outlawing magazines on plants just throwing that out there mick says bill blair is a robot another listener wonders if a pack of smokes is about 15 bucks what will the price of a pack of joints be not to mention the war on tobacco what will the war on marijuana be like i think your guest is just a pothead that hasn't thought this through it'll be funny when they themselves are out of business when big chains get a hold of marijuana products well first of all what's the war on tobacco 
There's no war on tobacco. I mean, they make them slap these disgusting photos right across the front of their packs. I mean, you can't even barely tell what a brand of cigarettes is anymore. There are so many warnings on it. And people still pay 15 bucks for them. And the government happily collects hundreds of millions of dollars in taxes on tobacco. There's no war on tobacco. There's a clampdown on flavored tobacco, if that's what you're referencing. I mean, all the grannies are upset because their menthol cigarettes are no longer available and and otherwise law-abiding octogenarians are having to go to underground sources to get their menthol ciggies, but that's about it. Listener out of Edmonton says, I I may have missed this argument, but citizens need to realize the harsh reality of how much revenue could be generated by the marijuana industry. Look at how much Colorado alone takes in off sales. With proper pricing and taxation, this industry could potentially be the newest contributing factor to the Canadian economy. It could be the little boost the economy is in dire need of. Have you been paying attention to the story in Colorado? 2014, the first year that marijuana was available in a recreational context to residents and visitors to Colorado. They expected to collect about $70 million in taxes in 2014. They didn't. They collected $44 million. The next year, 2015, $125 million in taxes collected in the state of Colorado. That's just taxes on marijuana. That's not taking into account tourist dollars, which is huge. Just throwing it out there. And also, by the way, I mean, let me kind of stick up for an element of the population that's probably larger than you may assume. To just write people off as potheads, we're kind of past that. There are judges that smoke marijuana. There are doctors that smoke marijuana. There are police officers that smoke marijuana. There are entrepreneurs that smoke. There are politicians that smoke. There are parents in your PTA meeting that are probably baked while you're all sitting there around the table. You just don't realize it. Joe says we need to be talking about Calgary Mayor Ned Nenshi's war on licensed home growers. Tim Moen, who, by the way, is the leader of the Libertarian Party of Canada, recently revealed Calgary inspectors are writing bogus mold and mildew reports in efforts to bully medicinal marijuana users like Keith Gall. And Joe, I'm just reading this cold, so I haven't done any research. He says Keith can't afford to buy medicinal marijuana, but he's willing to put in the work to grow it himself, and and, and now he's got a big $30,000 problem because of the city. Steve in Slave Lake this morning says, my issue with this issue is it's an opportunity for hard drug dealers to use this opportunity to lace soft drugs with hard drugs, causing more people to get hooked on other substances. Who's going to monitor such action? He says more law enforcement would be needed. says they're promoting a problem that would only cause more death and hardship among people who can't cope with the issues they have now. That from Steve. Steve, you know, I mean, a more regulated industry would address those concerns, right? I mean, if you don't know where your pot's coming from, you don't know if anyone's sprinkling anything on it. Wouldn't you rather? I mean, geez, Shoppers Drug Mart is looking at getting into the into the business. You think it wouldn't be regulated if Shoppers Drug Mart is selling it? Smaro says with a $40 billion deficit in the federal budget, it won't be 40, but I take your point, says on top of the expected provincial deficit, it's no wonder we're now seriously considering decriminalization of marijuana. 
Fiducci says decriminalize it, save money, save lives. Less police costs, less addiction to prescription drugs, healthier all around. Fiducci says alcohol is bad, pot is mellow. Another listener says, uh, Ryan, we've got to keep in mind there's a difference between a casual pot smoker and a pothead. My ex was a massive pothead, and she couldn't even function unless she was high. It was horrible, and it turned out that everything about that relationship was regrettable. Sure. I mean, listen, anything that's used irresponsibly or to excess is going to be a disaster, right? I mean, anything. Somebody that eats too much butter, somebody that drinks too much beer, somebody that smokes too much pot. Absolutely, 100%. Who's going to argue with that? A lot of people are saying right now, oh, you know, you want to put high drivers on the streets. We've said it so many times. That has nothing to do with anything. Of course, nobody wants high drivers on the streets, and police will have to develop technology or embrace existing technology that will allow for accurate roadside tests for inebriation under the influence of marijuana. Absolutely 100%. Nobody in their right mind is going to argue for high driving, just as those who would argue against alcohol prohibition. In other words, just as those who would say booze should be legal and I should be able to choose whether or not I drink it would never argue for drunk driving. They're completely different scenarios. They're completely different issues. Let's find out what Tony has to say, calling you to 780-496-0063. Morning, Tony. Hello, how are you? Doing well. What's your take on this? Uh, just a real quick point. I've been going overseas for the last five years to uh, Hong Kong and to Vietnam, and I was sort of looking into the uh, possible implement- implementation of um, the medical marijuana industry here in Canada, importing it from across, you know, other countries from the world and actually selling it to the states. Because we, we basically got a little, uh, we're a little ahead of the game of them. Even though they've got states that actually legalize it, uh, that could be like a half a billion dollars a year. Could be a huge export business. Uh, just through the medical marijuana, nothing to do with recreational. Strictly medical marijuana, selling it to the states, strictly on that basis only. Now, I guess one of the issues we have to have, and we want to have the open conversation, Tony, is this isn't a decision that should be made just for monetary purposes, right? We have to consider social implications. We have to consider law enforcement implications. We want to have kind of a, you know, if you want to call it a holistic conversation on it. Well, even medically, I'm saying people have been denied the right for this for medical use. And, uh, we, we, you know, obviously we should have some rights about that concerning medical use only. Yeah. Good conversation uh, contribution there, Tony. I appreciate it. I mean, there are so many different elements to this. Phil says, I smoke medicinal marijuana and I pay taxes on it. So tell me the government's not doing something illegal. Why don't we try to explain that? Nasty Nate says, too much butter is a gateway to the much more dangerous too much margarine. And then Nasty Nate, where do you go from there? I mean, ultimately, what's rock bottom? The too much, I can't believe it's not butter. Is that stuff still on the shelves or that spray stuff that actually comes out of a pump? Scott in Sherwood Park says, what about the farming industry? This could create jobs as well. Commercial style grow ops. I shouldn't put it like that, should I? Because you immediately probably thought of the RCMP green team with a battering ram kicking indoors. Let's call them growing operations. Commercial-style growing operations, says Scott, require a lot of manpower both to build and to maintain. You're absolutely right. Ziggy 
AKA Curtis says, not all potheads are like what was just explained. We are people too. It should be legalized. I live an amazing, healthy life. I eat very healthy. I work out six days a week. I work very hard in my career. I am forced to use something that is looked so down upon and is illegal. This country needs this in more ways than can ever be explained. Even off the recreational use alone, a lot of things can be helped. And that's just a small piece of how cannabis and marijuana can help out. He says, have a great remainder of your Friday. Well, thanks, Curtis. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate it. <laughs> Listener out of Pinocchio says, thanks a lot. Three of my favorite things, beer, butter, and bud. <laughs> I'm bad. Another says there are already provisions in the MMPR for export to the United States. We're just waiting for the feds down south to get on board. Licensed producers already import their strains and their seeds from the U.S. I founded one of the first licensed production facilities in Edmonton, so that's how I know. Thanks for chiming in. I mean, we just heard in that newscast the words from Donald Trump. This could could depend on who the president winds up being as well. Now, keep in mind, states' rights down in the United States, it's a very different setup. It's very interesting. The federal government in the United States has not given the green light to the green at all. As, As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. But states like Colorado and Washington have according to their state's rights, moved ahead on legislation that they believe best serves them. Brad says, I'm a parent of three teenagers. My concern is the effects of, uh, you know, the more long-term effects. He says, no one's talking about that. I don't write that concern off. I would never argue that marijuana should be accessible to minors, just like booze is not accessible to minors. When you talk about long-term effects, I mean, we, we get phone calls and text messages from people that have been smoking for 30 years. Dave says, with regards to medicinal use, when you have a doctor in store giving prescriptions so anyone can buy pot, he says, I don't want to smell your stinky weed. Well, sure, okay. I feel like the comments like that, we're, we're kind of getting maybe a little bit distracted. Maybe we're, maybe we're getting a little bit off the track when we come to like well i don't want to smell someone's weed well i mean i don't want to smell your cigarettes i don't want to smell your cheap perfume quite frankly i don't want to smell some of the things you're cooking that's more that's more an issue of consideration right being kind to your fellow humans that doesn't have anything to do with whether or not we do do we not legalize something because it stinks i mean this is a random observation but i love the smell of diesel through tailpipes but not everybody does we're not outlawing that are we Daryl says, good show this morning, Ryan. I know people that cannot handle their booze, yet cannabis, they can. They're also a lot better than opiates. Gary says, people talking about potheads, there are more piss tanks in Canada. That's the real problem. Marty says, I'm still waiting for somebody to tell me that they've died from smoking pot. Still waiting to hear that story. She says, the only thing I ever did when I got high was eat. Another says, Canada needs to diversify. We can't make money off oil, but we grow some of the best pot in the world. Why not profit off of that? Let's open our minds, people. Another says, legalizing pot might be the best thing to ever happen in Canada. From a non-pot smoker, I'm saying this. It'll be safer, more profitable for the government, less potheads, and more pedophiles in jail. We'll stick on this right after this quick break. You're listening to The Ryan Jesperson Show on 630 Chad, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. Always a lively debate when you start talking about legalizing or decriminalizing marijuana. Jody Emery joined us just a short time ago. And on the text line, a lot of different perspectives. A listener says, 
I'm smoking a 0% THC, 11% CBD joint as I drive listening to your program. The ignorance is astounding in this province. Listener says, by the way, I pulled over to text this. Thank you. Now, if you know a little bit about pot, THC is the so-called psychoactive ingredients, the active ingredient. It's the one that gets people, quote, high. CBD is non-psychoactive. As a matter of fact, it, a high CBD content is, is lousy for those that are looking to get high. For those that are using cannabis as medicine, it's ideal. This listener is, is, is essentially consuming medicine, but not high. It's important to understand some of these things. Another listener here says, pot smokers hate driving high. You put six beers in your belly, you think you can drive the indie circuit. Nobody ever says just one more puff for the road, ever. Steve says here, you know, if, if all this is meant to legalize, you know, to gain the tax base, he says, I'm not sure this will go over well with current growers who are doing this illegally. Steve says, I'm sure there'll continue to be underground operations that'll flourish because the law will back off because the heat will cease to be more evident. Says it's an issue that'll take a long time to sort out, just like the prohibition days of alcohol. Here we go again. Well, but, but are we better off now, Steve, or were we better off through prohibition when gangsters and rum runners were controlling the industry? And if you can walk into a liquor store to buy your rye now, why would you ever go to some guy that's distilling swill in his basement? MC says, if I'm paying 32 bucks for a tin of Copenhagen and 21 bucks are taxes, I say let the dopers pay their share. Another listener tuning in from Yellowknife. Good morning, Yellowknife. Says, how about the spinoff products from hemp, rope, clothing, oils, growing supplements, seeds, all the money it'll generate, the taxes alone, jobs, jobs, jobs. I don't know if I've ever talked to Daily Dell about marijuana before. Good morning. Dell? Dell? Interesting. That's a first. I don't suppose Dell was speechless, was he? That doesn't happen. On the text line, Daryl says, I used to be an alcoholic and, and, and I quit both for a period. I can say that alcohol should be illegal. Says, by the way, I've been smoking pot for more than 30 years. Another listener says, Paul McCartney's been smoking pot since the 50s. Is he a lazy idiot? A lot of different takes on this. Peggy says, I feel kind of rare and unique this morning, to be honest. I don't use pot. I rarely drink. Gambling bores me. I'm not overweight. Says the government doesn't make much money off of me. Is there something wrong with me that I face life's problems sober? I better call a therapist. <laughs> That's a great text. I appreciate it. We'll fit in a quick break. News headlines coming up. And then Dwayne Bratt will join us. Reflections on the legacy of former Alberta Premier and Grey Cup champion with the Edmonton Eskimos, Don Getty, who passed away last night. News coming up next. This is the Ryan Jesperson Show on 630 Chat, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. I will not be a candidate in the next provincial election. I have asked our progressive conservative party through the president 
to uh, now conduct a orderly leadership transition process according to our constitution. That was former Alberta Premier Don Getty announcing his retirement on September 9th, 1992, of course, succeeded by Ralph Klein. You may have been hearing in our newscast through this morning, Don Getty passing away earlier this morning. His family confirms peacefully from heart failure, passing away in hospital. We've been reflecting on the legacy of the former Premier, the two-time Grey Cup champion quarterback with the Edmonton Eskimos through the 630 Ched Morning News, and I've been looking forward to connecting with political scientist and chair of the Department of Policy Studies at Mount Royal University, Dr. Dwayne Bratt. Doctor, good morning to you. Good morning, Ryan. When you think of the legacy of Don Getty, what immediately comes to mind? Unfortunately, it's, it's not a good legacy. Um, while he was successful in many aspects of his life, uh, as an athlete, as a businessman, as a cabinet minister in the 1970s, he was part of the you know, gang of six that was first elected as PCs in 67. Um, but very good record, and except when you look at what he did as, as premier. And part of that is really bad timing. You know, he replaces the legendary Peter Lougheed, and then just as he takes over, the price of oil just collapses and the economy goes into a downspin that it never really got out of until he left office. It seems to be almost uh, an, an interesting, uh, and, and I had alluded to this earlier this morning, talking to, to Bruce Bowie, um, interesting timing that, that we're talking about him today and, and that he ultimately passed away this morning because the legacy of Don Getty has been surfacing and discussed more frequently than usual, considering because the current the, government the, scenario. Abs- absolutely, and there, there's a lot of parallels there. Um, I just finished writing a uh, an op-ed for Saturday's paper on the fiscal update, and there's echoes of law, of uh, Don Getty in there in the mid 1980s, because they decided when the, the price just dropped in '86, and in terms of inflation, that was worse than what we're facing now, because the economy was not as diversified uh, back then as it is today. And they looked at a series of options, and they really decided to try to borrow and wait it out and wait for the good times to come. But it took a long time for those good times to come, and Getty never saw them. It was the removal of Don Getty and then the Klein Revolution in the early 90s that really um, set Alberta on a budgetary trajectory. Um, So, I mean, you've got that factor. You've got the factor of him losing his own seat in the 1989 election and having to run in a by-election in uh, Stettler. You look at the constitutional file, and uh, under pressure from a growing reform party, he was a really strong advocate of the Triple E Senate. So I would say, you know, that was a good part uh, of Getty's legacy. Unfortunately, you know, Meech Lake and the rest of that negotiations that he was part of all collapsed. And so while he may have represented Alberta's interests in a constitutional manner, they never really got out of the problem. 
So you look at a, Don Getty's term as, as premier from 85 to 92, I mean, running deficits up to $3 billion, a $20 billion debt by the end of his term. And then you take a look at, you know, the provincial management style of his successor, Ralph Klein, who, of course, as we know, got Alberta back in the black by closing hospitals and closing schools and, and laying off thousands of public sector employees in Edmonton. People, one listener in particular yesterday sent the text message in in, in comparing the two leaders styles saying we can't forget the impact that Ralph Klein's hack and slash approach had specifically in Edmonton with, with the luxury of hindsight as we compare the two premiers legacies was one right and one wrong or how do you go through that you know it it, it depends on how much you value you have to remember when when Klein ran in 93 both the Liberal Party which was a much more fiscally responsible party at the time than I think they are today, both of them repudiated the Getty legacy, and both of them were going to attack the debt and deficit. And I think whether um, Lawrence DeCore would have done the same sort of activity that Ralph Klein had, they promised similar things. And so, you know, what options do you choose, right? So there's a number of different options, and what Klein did was the dramatic cutting of government spending. What the Getty approach was, was to borrow and hope for the good times to return. And that just led to escalating debts and deficits until it became a political crisis. And you wonder if if Klein had not won that leadership and had not campaigned the way he did, whether that would have been the end of the PC dynasty at that point, and then you would have had a liberal government walking into a very difficult fiscal situation, just as you see NDP today walking into a very difficult situation as new government. Yeah, to say the very least, uh, we spoke with the Premier yesterday as well as the Finance Minister Joe Sisi about that third quarter update and the budget we're expecting at the beginning of April. Uh, when we return with Dr. Dwayne Bratt, he mentioned he's writing a column coming up in this weekend's edition of the Post Media Papers. We'll see if we can glean a couple advance takes on exactly what Dr. Bratt's observing from Alberta's finance ministry, the premier's office as well. More with the Mount Royal University chair, Department of Policy Studies and Political Scientist, Dr. Dwayne Bratt, right after this. Whoa. Hey, what about us? And, um, you know, the other day to get a report from the ministers that will you stop raising regional issues like Senate reform? I think, uh, gives you the reason why you saw the premiers get a report and respond strongly. That's what makes me feel good. I mean, take us seriously, folks. Former Alberta Premier Don Getty there served as Premier from 1985 to 1992, passing away this morning in hospital at age 82. Mount Royal University's Dr. Dwayne Bratton has been joining us on the phone. Doctor, thanks for holding the line. Mike on the text line says, you know, Getty's legacy was during a tough economic time, but he did no harm. Rachel Notley, with her tax and spend policies, will harm Alberta for many years to come. Is Mike right well, given that almost everything that uh, the Getty government did economically, running high deficits and debt, um, some of its diversification boondoggles um, have largely been repudiated by successive governments. So um, we'll have to see what Notley's legacy is 
Um, but John Gettys isn't very good today. Do you get the sense, Doctor, that if we still had a progressive conservative provincial government, that the deficit might be flirting with ten or eleven billion dollars still? Uh, oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, I think uh, it may have been a bit less, um, but these are things that are outside of government's control. So you're dealing with issues on the on the margin. So the NDP, yes, they have maintained spending, but they were trapped by a series of labor contracts that were negotiated by the previous PC government. They did increase taxes, and they did run a large deficit. So let's assume that either the Wild Rose or the PC party had won the last election. Maybe they wouldn't have brought those tax increases in, but that would have been countered by the spending that they didn't do. You're still dealing with a very large deficit. So it's six six point three billion for this year, well over ten billion next year. Would a different government maybe it's five billion and nine billion. Those are still really large numbers. Mm. Dwayne, I'll look forward to reading your column this weekend. Thanks for making yeah, some time for us this the, morning. Yeah, it's actually in the Globe and Mail. Oh, pardon say. me. Okay, and you yeah. know, is, is that going to be on Saturday or Sunday? It'll be on Saturday's paper. Saturday's Globe and Mail. We'll look forward to it. Okay. Dr. Dwayne Brad, of course, Chair of uh, Policy Studies, the Department of Political Science at Mount Royal University. Well, let's ask the leader of Alberta's PCs, whether or not the budget might look the same. Rick McIver joining us over the phone this morning. Mr. McIver, it's good to connect with you. Hey, great to be here, Ryan. Thank you. Now, we want to talk about a couple of different things here, so we'll, we'll pick up where we just left off in just a moment. First off, uh, my condolences to the progressive conservative family on the loss of, of former Premier Getty. When did you hear the news, and what was your first thought? You know what, I thought I uh, first heard the news uh, this morning, and uh uh, as, I, as I woke up, actually, I got a phone call from a media person about it. So I uh, confirmed that, that before I made any comment on it. And, and frankly, it's a sad day for Alberta. Uh, anybody that uh, puts their life on hold for a period of time to uh, politically lead this province, and in fairness, that includes our per, per, current premier, who I'm not a big fan of, but the fact is she's, she's putting her life on hold, too. Uh, they need to be uh, thanked for the, thanked for their public service, and, and people need to uh, think about just what a what a huge uh, personal commitment it is to uh, take on that responsibility. Yeah, of course, Don Getty. Everybody knows a, a, a successful career in athletics. Two Grey Cups with the Edmonton Eskimos as quarterback. Uh, worked in the energy industry, founding his own oil company, and then of course uh, drawn into politics by his former Eskimos teammate, also a former Premier of Alberta, uh, Peter Lougheed. When you look back on uh, Don Getty's time in office. It goes without saying there were tough economic times then. What have the present-day PCs learned from the tough lessons of the mid to late 1980s? Well, I, th- I think what, uh, what I would hope we've learned is that uh, you need to adjust to the times. Um, and, and I would say uh, I heard the tail end of the previous conversation. The one thing I think you would see uh, with the PC government today is a, an effort to control costs. The uh, current government is is making, in my view, uh, no efforts at all that way, and, and uh, that's something that, that's a course correction that I would like to see them make before they uh, drag uh, Alberta down uh, uh, into into debt uh, more than anything that can be reasonably paid back in a short period of time. Will the PCs be putting together any sort of a shadow budget, or will you be able to give Albertans a tangible example or two on how a PC budget would look different than what we're expecting to see at the beginning of April? 
Yeah, between now and, and uh, when the government drops a budget on the table, uh, you can look forward to some uh, input from, from our party on uh, advice for the government and and, uh, and, and uh, ideas for Albertans on things that we uh, think that uh, should be done and things that uh, we would do if we... Uh, we're in the position to have control of that right now. Dr. Bratt speculated that uh, you may have run a $5 billion deficit this year, maybe a $9 billion deficit next year. Are those numbers acceptable to you speculation-wise? Uh, that You use the right word. It's speculation. So uh, people can speculate whatever they want, and, and I, you're asking me to speculate further, and I'm just going to resist. Uh, I will say that uh, with the... Uh, uh, we were anticipating about a $5 billion deficit this year, which doesn't make me happy, but uh, that was in uh, uh, in reflection upon what we thought the energy prices were going to be and, and the, uh, rev- both the revenue and the expenditure calculations, of course. But uh, we would have done a lot of things differently than, than the current government would have done. Uh, I think we, you would have seen probably a lot more investment in here because uh, we wouldn't have added the uh, the corporate taxes that uh, some people say have driven as much as $30 billion out of the province. Uh, others say uh, other numbers, but that's certainly something we would not have done. I think you would uh, the uh, those uh, members of the industry that are that are struggling now and, and shedding jobs and businesses would uh, uh, have more confidence uh, with the different with our government there that the government was was uh, hearing them and, and understanding and, and actually had appreciation for the jobs that those businesses were providing. And uh, well, it wouldn't have solved all the problems, and I'm not saying it will because you want to, what you can't blame the NDP for is low oil price. You can blame them for a lot of other things, including a lack of confidence. And I think there would have been better overall confidence uh, with, a, with a PC government because uh, we have a long track record of, uh, of appreciating the benefits that uh, business brings to our province. Mr. McIver, I'll, I'll leave off with this comment. Uh, Tim from Drayton Valley listening in says, uh, please express to Rick the utter frustration uh, of anyone of a conservative mindset regarding the lack of interest and movement of merging or working together with other small C conservatives. We're in this political Political position today, Rick, because of the PCs, get it together and fast. What would you tell Tim and Drayton Valley? I would say to Tim uh, that uh, we uh, are uh, listening to Albertans, uh, that uh, I am, uh, as an interim leader, and uh, even if I was a permanent leader, would be a servant of the uh, of the membership in Albertans. And right now I have a message to uh to carry on and get our party ready to run the next election. But uh, I'm open for all conversations, and when the membership gives a different message, we'll take that different message. So I would say to him, get involved, get a membership, make some noise, uh, as he is uh, on the radio today, and I thank him for that. And and, uh, also, if he wants to contact me uh, directly, send me an email, give me a call. I would love to hear his ideas on how he would uh, bring about the change that he wants to see. All right, Rick McIver, uh, thanks for making yourself available on short notice this morning, and have a great weekend. Brian, thanks for making time for me. You bet. That's the interim leader of Alberta's PC party, Rick McIver. We'll get to the text line right after this. We've got a big Friday roundtable coming up in just a few minutes. Some uh, movers and shakers in Edmonton, three of them, Trent Wilkie, Donald O'Byrne, and Tina Faze are going to join me. We're going to tackle some of the things that we meant to get to on the air this week but weren't able to dedicate dedicate much time to because there's just been so much to cover. Should Alberta consider a sales tax? Should Vince Lee be allowed to change his name anyway? 
And should low-income potential post-secondary students receive a full ride to attend college or university? Those are just a few of the topics we'll get to after these news.